hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. All right, welcome back to the next episode of the BC Law Just Law Podcast. I'm Tom Blakely. I'm here with my co-host, Jim Fiore. Uh, we're lucky to be joined by three professors, Professor Frank Garcia, Professor Mark Roden, and Professor Dan Lyons at BC Law, who are each teaching doctrinal courses this fall, uh, contracts, property, and of course, civil procedure. And so the idea for this was an idea actually Jim came up with uh, to do an episode just sort of introducing uh, professors that you're all, uh, you being the one L's, the incoming class are going to have this fall. Uh, talk a little about your courses, what to expect. I know the summer before 1L is sort of an interesting time. You're sort of, you know, thinking about what should I do? How do I prepare? What's law school like? And, you know, we thought it would just be a fun uh, check-in over the summer. We're all home, as you can see. Um, and, you know, we're lucky to be able to do this virtually. And so we'll go ahead and uh, introduce our guest. So uh, Professor Garcia, uh, he uh, joined the BC Law faculty in 2001. He'd been an associate professor at the Florida State University College of Law since 1993, served as a visiting professor at a number of schools around the world, received his law degree from the University of Michigan, was a Fulbright scholar as well as a professorial fellow at the Law Institute of the Americas, uh, and has a number of other really interesting experiences hopefully we can talk about. Uh, professor Broden is a professor of law, Michael and Helen Lee distinguished scholar and former associate dean for academic affairs at BC Law, an honor, honors graduate of Columbia College and Columbia Law School, where he served in the Law Review. Professor Broden clerked for United States District Court, uh, Court Judge Joseph Toro from 1972-74, was a staff attorney with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under the BBA, Boston Bar Association, from 1974 to 1980, uh, and has published extensively in the fields of employment discrimination, constitutional criminal procedure, civil procedure evidence, uh, scientific and forensic evidence, and a number of other areas. Finally, Professor Lyons is the Associate Dean of Academic Affairs and Professor of Law at BC Law, specializes in the area of property, uh, telecommunications, and administrative law. Before joining the faculty, Professor Lyons practiced energy, telecommunications, and administrative law at the firm of Munger, Tolles, and Olson in Los Angeles, and also clerked for Judge Cynthia Holcomb-Hall of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And we are very fortunate to have all you guys joining us. Uh, professors, how are you guys doing? Well, you're doing all right. Good. Awesome. Um, well, uh, go ahead and uh, go to you, Jim, if you want to get us started. Um, just sort of talking about the courses and uh, take it away. All right. I just wanted to start off by asking if each of you could give us a brief overview of of the class you teach. Um, maybe if you know a few sentences, two or three sentences explaining, um, you know, what your subject is all about. Oh well, thank you, Jim, and, and thank you, Jim and Tom, for this invitation. Uh, I, uh, with all due respect to my colleagues, Professor Garcia and Professor Lyons, I've got the hardest job among the three of us because. And it doesn't if, have to be two to three sentences. Don't worry. <laughs> if you leased an apartment, you know something about what Professor Lyons is going to teach you in property and landlord tenant. If you've uh, bought a car, used car, or even download software, you know what Professor Garcia is going to talk about, contracts. But how many of you have argued a motion for summary judgment or taken a deposition? So I'm in an area that is generally alien to incoming 1Ls. And uh, in view of that, I start with a... Um, uh, uh, a kind of layperson's view of a litigation, although written by a lawyer, um, it um, uh, uh, tracks a fairly complicated case involving a mining disaster in West Virginia in 1972. It's called the Buffalo Creek disaster. Um, I'll say more about that later, but that's the entree 
between civilian life and law school life for civil procedure? Yeah, so uh, my class is the law of property, right, which, you know, could be uh, a wide range of of topics, including um, uh, intellectual property, uh, what we call chattels, tangible property. But most of what we're going to be talking about uh, in the the 1L course is real property, right? So uh, purchasing and sale of land. Um, uh, So you end up with... um, a, a surprising number of issues in property that um, uh, one doesn't expect at first, right? So, for example, uh, technical doctrines like easements and covenants and how you live uh, in community with uh, neighbors, but also uh, law you can use, right? A landlord-tenant law, uh, real estate transactions. Uh, the, the nub of the course is really getting at the question of why do we have property? And what's the connection between property and liberty, right? So property is the um, the tool that allows me to, to um, be the person I want to be, right? Because I have the right to use this particular space that belongs to me. And I have the right to exclude anybody who would try to stop me. Um, so property is key to liberty. But the flip side to that is that uh, no person is an island, right? We live in community. I can uh, use my property the way I choose, but I can't, for example, dump toxic chemicals in my backyard. Right? Why not? Because uh, it could have an effect on how my neighbors use their property. I owe duties to my neighbors in space and arguably to duties in my neighbors in time as well. So that's sort of the crux of the course, right? This intersection between my use of property rights and how that helps me to be the person I want to be and the ways in which the law compromises that strong property right because of the need of the greater good of the community. And we explore that tension from a variety of different angles throughout the semester. Yeah, sure. Um, So the way I approach it, uh, contracts is really about uh, promises. Uh, and we make promises all the time, all kinds of promises to one another. Uh, but there's a subset of promises that we use the tools and mechanisms of law to enforce and to hold each other to. So we're going to take a look throughout the semester. Why do we enforce certain promises and not others? Uh, and what happens when people go back on their promise? Or what happens when it turns out that there was pressure going on behind the scenes to force a promise from somebody. So it's really about it's about relationships of a certain kind where you commit yourself to a certain course of action in exchange for someone else's commitment, uh, and then something happens or something goes wrong. Uh, and so that's really, I think, at the heart of what we're exploring. And I can say more about that, but let me just stop with that. Sure. Uh, well, that's great. Uh, professors, I wanted to ask, I guess it's sort of a two-pronged question. I think number one, uh, if you just want to talk a little bit about, you know, your, yourselves and sort of your, uh, you know, career and sort of how you got to teaching your classes and, and what you like about teaching these specific classes in particular, just your interest and, um, sort of how, how you got to, uh, to, to this point of, you know, sort of focusing in on, on these areas that the one the L's are going to be, uh, learning a whole lot about, uh, not, not too long from now. So I guess, uh, Professor Broden, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, um, my path to Boston College Law School was fairly traditional. Um, Graduated from law school um, in a year that will remain unmentioned. Um, uh, But it was a long time ago. Um, And I ended up clerking for a federal district judge, as Tom said in the introduction, 
uh, for almost two years that I um, litigated civil rights cases for a, a public interest law firm that had just been uh, established under the auspices of the Boston Bar called the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. Uh, and I love doing that. Um, but at some point, uh, six and seven years out, uh, I decided it was time to make a move to what I ultimately wanted to do, which was to teach. Um, and so uh, in 1980, I began law teaching and in 1983 began law teaching at Boston College. Um, I've always been a kind of a trial junkie. I love watching trials. I love reading transcripts. Um, so civil procedure was an obvious choice because it has to do with our primary method of dispute resolution, which is litigation. And we'll talk about the fact that there are alternative methods of dispute resolution. Um, uh, and historically, there's uh, trial by fire and trial by water and trial by combat. Um, and those of us who litigate cases think that maybe that hasn't changed very much in the modern arena. Um, uh, although the fire is pretty much absent. Um, but I love talking about litigation. It's um, an endless fascination to me. There are all kinds of complexities, but what I try to bring into the classroom is an overview. It's a one semester introductory course, so I want students to come away with a sense of what are the values that are, um, are reflected in our litigation system? Um, how do we recognize the dignity of people who are litigating cases? How do we assure that there's a fair and even playing field? And those are the kinds of overriding issues that we'll talk about in the fall term. Very good. Very interesting, Professor. Thank you. Uh, we'll go to uh, Professor Lyons next. Well, before I dive into that, let's say, Professor Broden, I heard the other day about an um, older gentleman in rural England who was fight who rather than paying his traffic ticket, decided uh, he wanted to go to trial and uh, requested specifically trial by combat, and was very upset that he wasn't allowed to uh, pursue trial by combat in order to um, uh, get out from his his uh, complaint against the constable. I'd love Dan to see the story. <laughs> if I can pick it up, I'll pass it along. Um, so yeah, my my path to academia um, began actually with my family. So I started uh, law school married with uh, an 18-month-old, and uh, my wife and I had two more children uh, while I was in law school. Um, and so I graduated law school with uh, three kids under five, um, and that's you know, um, unusual, but um, really kind of set my um my career path forward because I was grafting a career onto a family rather than the other way around. Um, and so I went to the, and by the way, uh, my wife then went to law school. She started law school um, tending to three kids under five with a husband who was a first year associate at a law firm. So I was no help at all. Um, so she, she had, she had the worst end of the deal. Um, but so uh, I joined the, the firm and I, uh, when I was with them, I told them one of the important things to me was to be home with my family for dinner time, right? At six, six thirty. I said, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll 
get back up, uh, pick up back up the computer and, you know, work from nine to midnight or whatever, but uh, I need to be home for dinner hours as often as work would allow. And the response was, that's, that's great. You know, you do good work and so we'll let you, uh, you know, we'll work around it. But you should know that um, you're probably not going to make partner uh, with that kind of a human. Uh, so you're, you're welcome to sit here and work for a while, but think about what your off-ramp should be. Um, so that, uh, they, they, and I, I respected that. I thought that was a really, you know, frank conversation. Um, but I started thinking, sort of, if this isn't what I was doing, what uh, are the things I would want to be doing? And, and I had started writing law review articles in what little spare time I had. And I realized that if I was investing my spare time writing law review articles and thinking about the way the law should be, maybe I should find a way to get paid to do that instead. And so um, began exploring uh, the academic job market and ended up uh, getting the, the job at Boston College. Uh, my bread and butter as a scholar is telecom and internet law, which uh, was the bulk of my practice as well. But I uh, picked up property in part because it was one of my favorite classes in law school, um, but also because um, one of my big cases before leaving practice was uh, involved the subprime mortgage crisis meltdown. I, uh, and getting de- into the intricate details of how we as a society got to this place where um, there's a bipartisan consensus that we should relax lending rules in order to increase homeownership in society, which worked, but had a huge systemic risk effects that nobody predicted in advance. Um, so trying to unwind that and tell that story uh, in litigation was really fascinating to me. And that's one of the reasons why I decided I wanted to explore property more uh, comprehensively as a uh, one of the the courses in my teaching portfolio. It's really fascinating. Uh, I actually hadn't. I, I know you, Professor you, uh, Professor uh, Broden and Alliance have been on before, and I I, I, I didn't know that. I, I you know knew a little bit of the background with, with with telecom, but I think that's really interesting. The connection with uh, you know what happened in two thousand eight and housing um, more broadly. Uh, Professor Garcia, don't want to leave you out. Uh, uh, go ahead, tell us, tell us a little more about yourself. Um, so it's interesting. My story has a kind of one foot in each camp of, of the stories that you've each told. It's partly about the sort of fascination and passion and partly about family. I also started my family in law school uh, and so uh, was already also looking for a way to, to, to do what I love the most about law, but find a workable balance. And the passion piece, was, you know, Mark, you talked about fascination with trials. Ever since I was a kid, I was really fascinated with uh, international trade, commerce, things flowing around the world. And so it was natural for me to become a a scholar in international trade, international economic law, international trade, international investment, uh, globalization. Uh, The move into contracts was much more recent, uh, but it was pretty organic in the sense that my more in the last five or so years, my work in trade was starting to bring me more into basically economic relationships of different kinds. Uh, and um, it seemed to me that if we're talking about trade, we're talking about consensual exchanges, voluntary exchanges. And if it's not a voluntary exchange, then it's coercion or it's exploitation or it's predatory behavior, but it's not really trade. So thinking about these sort of exchanges and economic relationships I started to use analogies from contract law. So how does contract law deal with coercion? How does contract law deal with duress? Uh, And so then it was a natural shift uh, when the time came uh, to jump into teaching contracts, which I view as just sort of a domestic version of what I've been interested in for for a while now. These basic 
fairness of economic relationships. Uh, uh, Jim, you uh, want to go next? Now that students kind of have a feel for what your class is about, at least, you know, in a general sense, what are one or two more specific things, specific topics you teach in your class that you hope students remember, you know, 10 years later when they're practicing law? Sure. Thank you. Um, uh, you're absolutely right, Jim. Um, uh, we're not necessarily giving uh, students the kind of specific trade craft that they'll end up doing. Indeed, one L's, two L's, oftentimes three L's don't know really what they're going to end up doing because there are so many fortuitous twists and turns of our various paths. Um, but I think my colleagues would agree with me that fundamentally what we're trying to do in the 1L classes is to use the cliche, uh, the overused cliche, uh, to help students learn how to think like lawyers. Um, there's a certain analytical approach uh, um, uh, to reading cases, reading statutes, uh, which is not to say that there's enormous disagreement within specific issues, um, as you could see in the daily newspaper, particularly in the last week. Um, but what we're trying to get students to do is to read critically. Um, and I think that's the most important skill that I can impart to students. My experience over the years is that, um, uh, of course, the backgrounds and experiences uh, of students vary tremendously. But uh, if I were to identify one thing that I hope to work with students on uh, between August and uh, December uh, is critical reading. Reading a, uh, a text, either a statute or a um, uh, decided case or an article, and reading it with a very critical eye, because we all tend uh, in our previous um, education, K to 12 and undergraduate, some of us tend to credit what we read. Well, it's there in print, it must be, must be right. Um, but it isn't always right. And uh, the revisionist historians have told us that oftentimes uh, the history that we learn and read isn't quite right. Um, so I want students to be able to um, put themselves in a problem situation as a lawyer in real practice would and be able to choose from the various texts and the cases and statutes and other sources um, to use them in a meaningful and effective way to make arguments for one side or the other, or to put themselves in the position of a judge and make decisions. Um, so th that's the skill set that I'm looking to work with students on in the first year. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, so success in the undergraduate curriculum was largely a function of memorization and regurgitation, right? You read what the professor assigned, you sp spoke it back on the on the midterm or the final. That was, that was how we did. In law school, we're training something very different. Like, like that's just table stakes. What we're really trying to teach is to go beyond just absorbing material and thinking much more critically about it. Not just what uh, what did the court do, but why did the court do what it did? 
what were the uh, arguments on the other side? And was this decision a good decision or not, and why? So as uh, particularly 1L fall progresses, you'll find that most classes start with those kind of what did the court do questions. But uh, as you get into October, November, uh, you'll find you spend less time on that and much more time on why is what's the rule the court is creating? Why did the court do what it did? Um, and hopefully you begin to see that things are a little bit more, um, the world is a little bit more complex and gray than uh, most 1Ls think when they come in, right? Um, every case has a lawyer on the losing side. That lawyer made arguments on behalf of his or her client. Understanding what those arguments are and why the court wasn't convinced by them is actually really important to our tradecraft. Um, and so kind of getting used to the idea of making arguments, even arguments that you don't necessarily believe in yourself, but it's a uh, good representation for your client, I think helps you appreciate uh, that we are a... Um, they're much more complex, like the issues are much more complex than uh, they seem at first glance. And that um, even if you disagree, you can, uh, with somebody else, you can recognize there are good arguments on the other side. Um, and our disagreements should be reasonable, not unreasonable. Well, I would, I would agree with everything that my colleagues have said. And I, I would just add two things to it. Um, it's, it's so easy as a 1L to consider law as a given thing, that you're just handed a book full of law. Uh, but I really want my students to understand that law is a constructed thing, and it's constructed out of a series of decisions made by legally trained persons, uh, and to not lose that sense. And one way that I try to keep that uh, foregrounded for them is that we may take certain opinions and we end up considering that they were really, really wrongly decided. And, and one of the questions on the exam might be, if you were going to write the opinion, how would you write it? How would you have done this differently and why? Uh, as, as part of that, I think I, I try to encourage my students to keep a sort of gut check alive, that it isn't, law is not just about what's happening above your neck, uh, but it's happening it, 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 through you as an entire person. Uh, and that can, that can feed your intuition, it can feed your tactical instincts, and it can also reinforce your sense of justice and fairness. There's just something wrong with the way this is going. So I think that's another piece of what I, what I hope to teach them, as well as uh, introduction to, to contracts. Professors, all, all really, really good answers. They're a very cerebral way to, to, to look at it. I know, uh, and this is sort of a, a segue to our next question, I know a lot of students coming into 1L are just thinking, you know, ah, this is scary. People say it's hard. You know, how, you know, it's a lot of reading. How am I going to do? Am I going to get good grades? You know, the people are sort of thinking in that, uh, you know, sort of mindset. And so we sort of wanted to ask about, about, I guess, specifically, you know, with regard to the, the classes you're teaching, what part uh, of, of your courses do you see students tend to struggle the most with? Um, and then at the same time, what advice uh, might you give those students to, to, to prepare for some of those challenges? Yeah, well, I, I would start off by telling the entering class that um, law school could actually be condensed into one year, but we keep the two L's and three L's around to scare the one L's. So <laughs> don't let that happen to you. Um, law school is difficult. It's challenging uh, for all of us here. Um, uh, it, it's a major, major uh, commitment. Um, but if you put in the time, 
read the materials carefully, think them out, preferably discuss them with each other. So I urge students to form either uh, formal or informal uh, study groups or at least discussion groups. Uh, and I tell students, and I put it in the preface of one of my books, um, that students learn as much from themselves as they do from me. And I think that that's just false modesty, but it's not, it's true. Um, and that's part of what the Socratic method is all about. And of course, if Socrates were here today, um, first he'd be very old, but also he would look at what we call the Socratic method and we would say, he would say, you don't know any, understand anything about what I've done in my life. That's um, So what we have uh, used the term Socratic method to mean is really just an interactive classroom and the law school is an interactive classroom. And um, Professor Lyons has mentioned uh, the contrast with undergraduate experiences for the most part. And one of the big contrasts is uh, we don't stand up and lecture. We engage the class in a discussion. Uh, we talk about cases. We talk about being in a particular situation with a client. Um, and of course, all of the pedagogical literature, what we've learned about learning over the last century is that people have to be engaged in the process. They can't simply be passive listeners. So the challenge for law professors, all of us, is to make the material sufficiently engaging that the students are with you as part of a conversation and not a monologue. And that gets much more challenging if we're competing against whatever's on the, the laptop screen to speak in front of the student. Um, yeah, so I would add a, a couple of things. Um, one, particularly 1L Fall, it, it, uh, so law, law is a very different discipline. It's a very different vocabulary. And particularly like uh, in, in September of uh, 1L year, it kind of feels like being dropped in the middle of Prague and being told, speak check. Right. Uh, you have no idea first what's going on around you. That's okay. That get, get comfortable with that confusion uh, because everybody else is in the same boat. Uh, eventually, you, you'll start to to pick up uh, key phrases here and there, and it'll get the the fog will begin to dissipate. Um, but if it begin if it feels a little bit uncomfortable at first, that's okay, and and that's exactly where everybody else is too. Um, and I want to talk particularly about the cold call, right? Because that's the thing that everybody always dreads coming into um, uh, law school. This idea of like being put on the spot. Oh no, I'm going to freeze. I'm going to. Uh, I may not know the answer to the question the professor is getting at. First of all, um, yeah, it, it you know it can be really really nervous, uh, nerve inducing, and, and kind of scary. But um, uh, the reason we do these things is not sort of a bizarre hazing ritual, right? My, my professor did it to me, and so I'm going to do it to you too. The reason is because being able to think on your feet um, quickly and in public, right, is a uh, uh, important skill to being a lawyer. You um, flub a line in class, right? Um, the worst thing that happens is your classmates notice, 
uh, you kind of feel embarrassed for a few days and a week later, everybody's forgotten about it, right? You stand up and get the butterflies and like uh, blank out in court and suddenly somebody's going to jail who shouldn't be, right? Or isn't going to jail who should, or your client's just lost a multi-million dollar case, right? So um, law school is a safe place to explore, to, to learn those skills, right? To get comfortable with the butterflies, understand uh, how to settle your nerves so that the first time you face that situation isn't with somebody else's uh, life or interests on the line. Um, and the, the one piece of advice I would give that I think applies over all three years is um, lean into your weaknesses. I think one of the big mistakes I made as a law student was um, figuring out what I found comfortable and doing that over and over again. Uh, so I didn't take any clinics and I didn't uh, really do a whole lot of um, new fields of law that sounded really difficult. And I think that was a mistake because, uh, again, law school is the is a safe environment to fail. And um, it's in our failures that we learn, right? Uh, and so I, I would encourage you as you begin to think about course planning your 2L and 3L year, um, lean into your weaknesses, round yourself out so that you graduate having sort of um, uh, sanded down those sharp edges and figured out how to handle public speaking and client management and all, all these things that you're kind of scared of now, uh, because you're going to have to figure it out as a lawyer. And it's better to, to start figuring it out while you're in our um, uh, cocoon than, you know, out in practice. Wow. Those are great points, both of you. I, I would, um, let me just second, first of all, what each of you has said uh, in terms of talking to your to each other and working together uh i started a practice we would call it small group fridays which is i think this semester is going to be small group thursdays where the third class of every week was not more doctrinal exploration but was a series of exercises that you did in small groups which i put together uh, for you to basically integrate the material discuss the material learn how to work as a group. I don't think we emphasize that enough in law school, how to work as a team, uh, and go in that process of learning together. Uh, and I think the students really appreciated that. And it's just to try to make concrete what, what, what Mark was saying. And, and I, I couldn't agree more, more Dan. Uh, I got good advice when I went into law school from a professor who said, this is your last chance to make cost-free errors. And after that, it's going to cost somebody something. So make as many errors as you can. And that's what I see a lot of law students struggle with. They don't consider themselves to have gotten into law school by making mistakes, uh, but they better get comfortable with making mistakes now and really, really get into the flow about that. Uh, because I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's very, very important. Uh, and in terms of, of advice, I would just add, personally, I think I would not encourage future law students coming to, as one else this fall to try to cram a lot of law into their minds this summer. First, I think that's just going to wrap them up into knots. Uh, and I think the risk is to confuse yourself about what law is. Law is not everything that's written down into, a, into an outline, Gilbert's outline about contracts. That law is a process. It's a way to read text. It's a way to talk. It's a way to think. And so I'd say read read some great novels. Read, read philosophy. Read the history of the English speaking peoples or, or, or whatever you haven't done, but something that will open your mind and remind you that you're about to enter a profession that's rooted in the sort of deep humanistic impulses and deep social needs. And so I'd say go, go broad. Don't, don't go, don't go narrow before you come to class. 
now I want to talk a little bit more about preparation. A lot of 1L students are, you know, rising 1Ls are, are nervous about going into the class. They want to do all they can to make sure that they're ready, um, you know, when, when that first day of law school comes. Do, if you have any advice about, you know, what to do to prepare um, for your class uh, during the summer, the month before, would, would you have, what would you say to, to 1L students? So uh, advice to um, second semester 1Ls? Um, okay, sure. I, I do want to just touch quickly on two things my colleagues said. First, um, Professor Lyon's point about the cold calling. Um, uh, I marveled at the fact that I would go to reunions and meet with students who graduated 30 plus years ago, and they would remember exactly when I called on them and what case I was asking them about. I remember my civil procedure cold call. <laughs> and I realized it was a form of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, uh, and it was certainly what I experienced, what I was called on. Professor, I'm still thinking of International Shoe two years ago. I'm still rattled. <laughs> you nailed it, Tom. You absolutely oh, nailed it. Nice. Good. Good. It's a good answer. It's a good... <laughs> uh, but so the point is that I've now moved to a a panel system in both 1L and upper level classes. Um, so students are a little alleviated in terms of uh, the nervous uh, experience of being called. Um, they, um, they have some advanced notice. Um, uh, and, and the second thing, I want to go back to something that Professor Garcia said about reading novels. Um, I think that's excellent suggestion for summer reading pre-1L year, I would just uh, add the friendly amendment of biographies because I just find reading biographies about uh, judges and lawyers um, uh, is not only endlessly fascinating, but it's also a kind of other form of entree into law school. But to get back to Jim's question, um, I, I tell students along the lines of, of what's been suggested already, uh, take, take courses, of course, take basic courses, um, uh, uh, corporations, evidence, tax, commercial transactions, that kind of thing, but also take what really motivates you, what interests you, because ultimately we learn best when we are, again, engaged in the process and we're engaged in the process as human beings if the material is of interest to us. Um, so courses like um, American legal history, English legal history, stuff like that, if that's what you're interested in, don't get too concerned about the fact that there aren't many questions on uh, the writ of uh, uh, trespass on the bar exam, um, but it does give you a, a background and a, and a, uh, a foundation, which is important uh, in terms of understanding more modern concepts. Um, but I think, I think students should um, uh, ask their fellow students uh, what courses they were um, enthused about and what professors they were enthused about, because ultimately 
It's the students as the customers, the receivers of what they're talking about, who are the ultimate judges of uh, whether we are performing our tasks with um, uh, success or not. Yeah, I think with regard to property in particular, I think it's important to, for students who decide they like property, they want to do more about it. It's helpful to think about what was it about the course that you really liked, right? Was it the part where we're trying to figure out what is property, what is not, um, and why we define property rights the way that we do? If so, then maybe um, intellectual property is a, a place for you to think about you know, why we create copyrights and trademarks and, and trade secrets and patents, which are not tangible items that uh, have natural sort of property characteristics, uh, and yet the law is going to protect them. Um, if you're thinking more about uh, land use, right, you find the idea of how do we live in neighborhoods with one another uh, super interesting, then we have upper-level courses on land use practice uh, or environmental law. Uh, if you're instead interested in regulating the, the uh, housing market or, uh, you know, like landlord-tenant law, um, we offer upper-level classes in that, but also opportunities in the clinics to really represent tenants in, in litigation. Uh, or um, is it civil rights, right? The anti-discrimination laws um, or the constitutional aspect of things, like zoning and uh, takings and, and sort of broader land use planning. If that's your field. Then there are other courses related to that. So there's a lot of things going on in the class. And I think it's helpful to kind of think about what is the piece that I was most interested in? How do I do more of that? Um, I, I think Mark's exactly right that... Um, you should use your electives to pursue courses that you're interested in. Uh, a, because if you're interested in the material, you're probably going to get a better grade in the class. Uh, but B, um, this is your, you're paying a lot of money to learn from us, right? So you should be learning the things you want to learn rather than the things you kind of feel like you have to. Uh, you're going to spend the rest of your life learning stuff because clients are telling you to. This is your last chance to decide on your own what you want to learn. Yeah. So if, if at the end of contracts, you find yourself really interested in these kinds of questions, and I think you, you, I think you want to go on and take a number of economic law courses, a wide range, uh, antitrust, commercial transactions, corporations. And, and in each of these, you want to try to understand, you know, how are we constructing the framework for a capitalist market society? Because that's what we have, and that's what, as lawyers, we're working within. And that's really a piece of what contracts is exploring. But every economic law course is exploring some version of that. So I'd say there are a lot of courses you can take if you get interested in that. And it's a, I think it's a fascinating way to understand your education and training as a lawyer. Uh, so I would dive into those courses with that perspective in mind. Very good. Uh, well, with that, we'll move to our last question. We really appreciate your time and bearing with us through the, the technical difficulties, which will have been creatively edited out of this by the time anyone listens to it. Uh, but we wanted to just sort of finish on a fun note being, uh, you know, summer here. Just want to ask a little bit about your summer plans. What do law professors do in the summer? Uh, you know, what are you guys up to? Anything like that? And uh, Jim and I, can I, is one question Jim and I could probably also contribute a little bit to. And uh, we'll wrap up on that note. So, Professor Broden, if you want to uh, bring us home. Yeah, well, my summers uh, um, are, uh, as you would expect, split between um, writing projects um, and other activities. The latter includes almost exclusively visiting our four grandsons, two of whom are in Madison, Wisconsin, because our son-in-law teaches at the law 
law school and two of whom are in Portland, Maine. Um, we were in Portland this weekend. Next week, we're heading out to Madison. Um, uh, and in between, um, I have a couple of uh, books and treatises and case books that require care and feeding in the summer. Um, and I'm also working on an article uh, following up on an earlier a piece I published in Howard Law Journal on the Trayvon Martin case and the George Zimmerman trial. Um, and hopefully I'll get that out by August for the next um, uh, uh, season of uh, Law Review screening. Yeah, so I'm also writing the summer. So all of us, I think, wind up spending a decent chunk of our summers trying to, to do the uh, the coin of the realm, right? Writing uh, articles and books. Uh, I'll be writing on uh, social media regulation, not as quickly as I would like to be. And certainly not as quickly as the market's moving. But um, I'm looking forward to delivering on um, an outstanding promise to my kids. So uh, when my son turned 16, we had planned a trip to Paris. And it was just going to be for him uh, and my wife. But then we got like ridiculously cheap airfare, like 280, 290 round trip from Boston to Paris. So we said, hey, let's take the whole family. Um, and so everyone's all super excited that we're going to go to Europe. Um, and our uh, flight was uh, scheduled to land three days after Paris went into lockdown for the pandemic. Um, so that didn't happen. Uh, my Uber cheap uh, trip was canceled, and I ended up with a bunch of kids who now have the expectation they want to go someplace exotic um, and a budget that doesn't match those aspirations. Uh, so now that the world has opened up again, we're taking them to Cartagena in Colombia uh, for a week uh, this summer. We're really looking forward to that. My kids are uh, 21, 18, and 17 now. So it's sort of our last big hurrah as a family before they kind of go their separate ways. That's great. I can't wait to hear how that went. My family's from Colombia, so I would, yeah. I'm really curious to know how that, how that goes. Um, like my colleagues and like most of us, I've got some writing projects this summer trying to um, uh, do a piece of rethinking foreign investment law and, and uh, trying to start a book project, really looking at what the heck went wrong with globalization and what do we need to do to fix it? So there's just so much, so much to talk about there. That's uh, a big topic. Know, yeah. And, you know, like, I think like most of us, we work on our writing all, all year long, but summer is the time to, to launch new ships or try to think, think as big as we possibly can while we have the space and, and to do that. So that's what I'm hoping to do this summer. Uh, and then in between that, uh, we live in a very abundant area in the Maritimes. Uh, and so um, we'll be making jam and collecting edible seaweed and uh, working on our bread baking. So that's what we do. Nice. Working. Yeah. Sounds lovely. Uh, Jim, uh, rising 2L summer. Uh, what, do you, what do you got going on? Yeah, so I'm at, I'm in the seaport in Boston uh, at the Cabot Corporation, uh, you know, global manufacturing, uh, a global chemical company. Um, so I'm in their legal legal in-house team. So that's that's pretty exciting. Working on a few different things, putting the the skills I, I learned in one L that we just talked about to use. And uh, I'll be here for about three four more weeks, and then hopefully, ha- you know, kind of chill out in August and be able to head down to the Cape for the for a few weekends before two uh, L starts up again. Sounds great. Great. 
Lastly, as for myself, uh, I'm going into three L, so we're 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 on the the third and final of the of the L's, which I can't believe that the last two years have just sort of flown by. Uh, I'm working at the FBI this summer in Boston. Uh, it's been a pretty incredible experience, and uh, you know, we'll be be coming back to try to try to relax a little bit before school starts, like Jim said. Like try to go down the Cape, big Cape guy. Like to golf, uh, you know, keep it local for the most part. And uh, yeah, school start up before we know it, and we'll just try to I think do a couple more of these. Um, we've got a few ideas uh, to try to you know maintain uh, our, our podcast over the summer, and then we'll get started and uh, be hitting the books uh, before you know it. But in any event, professors, thank you so much for joining us. I know the technical difficulties make it a little bit uh, challenging at times, so you you brave that. We really appreciate it. Uh, have a terrific rest of your summer, and uh, I'm really glad we got to do this and uh, let the let the incoming class get a little get to know a little bit more about uh, what they're going to be up to and you know what their professors are like and uh, you know a little bit more about them. So thank you so much. Thank you too, and uh, always a pleasure to hear about uh, my colleagues' uh, various activities and likewise, to likewise. see them if only remotely. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Everybody. Be well and be safe. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Tom. I look forward to meeting the students who are listening to this right now. <laughs>